0: It's just great to think, folks, that as we join in song together, it's not just us here in this room that we're joining with, we're joining with those thousands and ten thousands of angels who are singing praise to Jesus in the heavenly places. I think that's a really, really good news for us. We're going to turn now and read scripture together. And uh, I've said this is our last Sunday in Mark's Gospel for a while um if you want to know my plan moving forward my my plan is that we'll return to the psalms in the summertime and we'll pick up where we left off last summer and we'll take a psalm every sunday and then come september we're going to return to the book of genesis and where we left genesis was just before the abraham story begins so we're going to be looking at the story of of abraham and then next january lord willing we will return to Mark's gospel and pick up where we leave off today. Um, like I say, that's Lord willing, things can change, folks' plans can change, and Jesus can return in the meantime. And wouldn't it be a joy if he did? Um, but that's my plan moving forward. You'll remember last week in our passage, Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ. The, the, the high point of Mark's gospel, the, the pivot on which the whole thing turns. Finally, for the disciples, the penny has dropped. Their eyes are opened, their ears are opened, and Peter says, you are the Christ. Well, immediately after that, we see what happens, starting reading in verse 31 of chapter 8, and we remember this is God's word. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes And be killed. And after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gives the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Amen. We thank Jesus. We thank God for this reading from his truth. <clears throat> Folks, it's going to be helpful for you to have the passage open in front of you. So please do turn up uh, Mark chapter 8 and verse 31 following. It's, it's not news anymore. It, it'll be no surprise to any of you, but We have two new leaders in the main unionist parties in Northern Ireland, and uh, I'm not wanting to make a political statement, I'm not predicting anything here, but I want you to let your imagination run for a minute. Imagine either Doug Beatty or Edmund Books, whoever you prefer to imagine, is in the first meeting with their team of MLAs and main party members. Just after they've been elected and ratified as party leader. And the members are excited. They're waiting with bated breath. What are we going to do now? What is the strategy? How are we going to move forward from here? And the party leader steps up and says, we're going to lose. We must lose. We're going to give our political opponents everything they want. We're going to roll over on the Northern Ireland Protocol. We're going to start the process for an Irish language bill. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to be petitioning the Secretary of State to call a border code. Everything you think we stand for as Unionists, we're going to give it all. We're going to lose. We must lose everything to our political rivals. Let's move things away from politics into sport. Think, imagine there's been a new coach appointed to your football team or if football isn't your sport you can think of something else and at the first major press conference the new coach has asked well how are you going to inspire this group of players to start winning the coach replies who said anything about winning we're going to lose and we're going to lose big my aim for this season is that we finish at the bottom of the league and i want us to concede as many goals as possible on our way there. We must lose. Now, I hope you might be able to see where I'm going with this. Neither of those are winning strategies. They're losing strategies. But I want you to feel a little bit of how the disciples would have felt in our passage Today. The disciples have have just confessed Jesus Christ as the Messiah of God, come to rescue His people, and it's as if Jesus turns around and says, "That's great. I'm glad you've got that. Now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I must die. And you know those opponents, those those ones who've been chasing me around, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders. Those I've been in open conflict with. Well, they're going to win." They are the ones who are going to win. I'm I'm going to give them exactly what they want. I must suffer. I must be rejected. I'll be handed over to them. And I'll be killed. How do you think the disciples are taking that news? Of course Peter took Jesus aside. Now I know Jesus said he would rise again in three days. But think about how the disciples are hearing it. By that point they're just hearing words, they're not putting anything together. Jesus is their leader, their saviour, the Christ, who has come to rescue them and he's just announced he's going to die. Let that sink in. Of course Peter took him aside. Of course Peter began to rebuke him. Peter's told, get behind me Satan. It's not the first time Jesus has said such a thing. It's a callback to his temptation in the wilderness with Satan. So Jesus does exactly what he would urge any one of us as his followers to do. He shoves Satan at the first inkling of temptation. He says, "Get behind me, Satan! You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man." My friends. That's the main thing I want us to focus on today. It's the difference between the things of God and the things of man. The difference between the kingdom of God and the way that we expect leaders and kings and queens to behave. It's the fact that God's ways are not like our ways. God's ways are higher and greater than our ways. God's kingdom his Messiah, well they're nothing like the world would expect them to be. God's kingdom, the way up is to go down. The way forwards is to go back. The way to win is the way to lose. The way to life is to die. God's kingdom is a kingdom which is shaped by the cross. And I have two simple points for us today. The first is that in God's kingdom, the king must die. The second is that in God's kingdom, the way of the cross is the way to glory. Let's begin by looking at the king who must die. I want you to see the teaching that Jesus offers in verse 31. And I especially want you to notice the word mark uses The Son of Man must suffer many things. Jesus has not corrected Peter's confession. So we know that Peter is right. Jesus is the Christ. But here Jesus uses his own preferred title for himself. He he calls himself the Son of Man. It's a title taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel. And when we return, Lord willing, next January, we'll see more about the Son of Man. But it's the word must I want us to focus on. Jesus teaches that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected and killed. The death of Jesus is not something that might happen. It's not something that Jesus is predicting will happen. It's something that must happen. It's a necessity. It's a must. This is really important for us to grasp. In God's kingdom, the king must die. It wasn't optional. It was the way things had to be. The death of Jesus is foretold throughout the Old Testament. And so he died in order to fulfill the scriptures. But it wasn't just to to keep what the Bible said. The Bible is the word of God. God cannot lie. So the death of Jesus is something that God himself willed to happen. It was the will of God that Jesus would come into the world to suffer and die. It's something the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit have planned from all eternity. That Jesus would come to save his people and to do that he must die. Even the promise of Genesis 3.15 that we looked at last week, the the first gospel, even there we read the serpent would bruise the heel of the saviour. And at that moment, at the the bruising of the heel, it would seem as if the serpent had won. This is the will of God. His ways are not our ways. In Isaiah 53 verse 10, it even tells us that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And if you only read that one line, you might think it's speaking about Satan, but it's not. Some versions say it was the will of the Lord to crush him. But it's not Satan who's being crushed. It's the suffering servant of the Lord, the anointed one, the Christ. It was the will of God to crush Jesus. We stop to think about that for any length of time. We've got to realize what a deep love God has for us. For you. That he wouldn't only allow, but he would willingly crush his Messiah to save us. And Jesus is not passive in this. There is one will in the Godhead. So this is the will of Jesus, to be crushed so that we might be saved. Oh, Savior. That's the reason he must die. It's for our salvation. It's because you and I have sinned against an infinite, holy, and perfect God. And so the punishment for our sin has to be delivered in an infinite way. Either we suffer for all eternity and eternal death which is what our sin deserves or your sin is punished in an infinite way by God on the the son of God by the very God the author of life submitting to death on the cross for your sin to be forgiven the son of man must suffer and die The Christ must go to the cross on your behalf. God's ways are not our ways. His way of salvation is through the death of the King. And this is not what the disciples were expecting. It's probably not what we would expect from a Messiah. The truth of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life friends i want you to hear the good news loud and clear today the son of man jesus christ himself must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed believing this accepting it in your heart in your head means you have in mind the things of God and not the things of men. And hear it as good news because it is good news. It's often the case that when we consider the things of God more than the things of man, something that at first seems like bad news for us can turn out to be good news. Sometimes we don't see even in our own lifetime how that works out. But we know that with God, His will for us is always good news. You know, when I hear people ask the question, "Why do bad things happen to good people?" I have to say, with full understanding that suffering is real and genuine, I'm not minimizing that suffering in any way, but there was only one good person ever in the history of the world, and that's the Lord Jesus. And what happened to him in the will of God? He suffered. He was rejected. And he died. So in our lives, without minimizing any suffering we face and recognizing that it's real and it's horrible, we should also realize that ultimately, through trust in Christ, things turn out for good got to try and have an eternal mindset. We've got to take ourselves out of having in mind the things of men and have instead in mind the things of God. God loves you so much that he sent his son to suffer the ultimate anguish, torment and torture on your behalf so that you could have everlasting life that brings us to our second point. That in God's kingdom, the way of the cross is the way to glory. The cross comes before the glory. Deliberately, up to this point, left out the last phrase in verse 31. I wanted us to think upon the cross, but we should fail to notice what Jesus says after the cross, after he must be killed, he must rise again. On the third day. The way to get the glory is by going through the cross. That's the way of God's kingdom. Suffering first, rejection first, death first, and then the glory. I think if we stop to think about it for a moment, that's that's not too far from our thinking. It's not too far from our understanding. Think about the glory of winning a gold medal in the Olympics. It doesn't start with the ready, set, go. It starts on a a dreary, uh, drake November evening in the cold and the wet on the training ground. In order to to get to the podium and, and to get to the glory, the athlete has to go through the torture of training. In a way, the athlete has to give up their life for the sake of training. The same can be said for any level of achievement in all sorts of areas. I've watched as the trackers and trailers cross the fields and run the roads. You know better than I do that the glory of, of having barns full of silage for the winter, it doesn't come without the hard work. Cutting and lifting and wrapping, and carrying, you've got to sweat first. We know this about the world we live in. Anyone who's ever had to study for an exam, who's ever had to learn an instrument, take a test, compete in an event, we all know this. Success comes after the hard work, not before. So it is in God's kingdom. First the cross, then the glory, but I we so easily tempted to get there quicker, to, to make a way of getting the success without having to work for it. When I was at school, I had a friend who made cheat cards and sold them, uh, GCSE and A-level versions, tiny little credit card sized pieces of paper which he uh, printed and laminated and they had all of the formula you would ever need for maths, physics, chemistry, in tiny, tiny writing. What he did was not right. I never bought one, but I was tempted to buy one. I also have to say that if he put as much time into memorizing the formula as he did into making the cards, he wouldn't have needed the cards in the first place. But it's in us, isn't it? it's in us to look for the the easy way out to try and succeed without making any effort to get the glory but avoid the cross and that's what Peter wanted Peter wanted the glory of the Messiah but as soon as Jesus started talking about the cross Peter tried to rebuke him Peter's really echoing Satan who promised Jesus remember Satan promised Jesus the whole world if only Jesus would bow down to him. Jesus could have it all. He could avoid the cross. And receive all the glory. Simply by bowing down to Satan. It's no reason Jesus reacts the way he does. To Peter it's the same temptation. That he faced in the wilderness. All the glory. None of the cross. Jesus isn't having it. He knows the son of man must suffer be rejected, and die. But after that, following death comes resurrection and glory. Jesus says it's the same for you if you choose to follow him. Look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Jesus is saying, you must go through the cross. If you believe that he is the Christ, if you believe there's everlasting life in his name, then you've got to be willing to give up your life for it. If you love your life, if you love all the things you have in this world too much to come to Christ, Jesus says you'll lose it. You're going to lose it all at the end, your life, and all the stuff. But if you're willing to give it up for Jesus, then you will save your life. Let's be practical. What does it mean? What does it mean to take up your cross? What does it mean to lose your life for the sake of Christ and his gospel? I think a lot of people use that phrase, it's my cross to bear, And they don't really consider how jesus means it what jesus is saying here is that him and his kingdom should mean more to you than anything else so much so that you'd be willing to give anything up so long as you wouldn't lose jesus this means lots of things in practice for those who call themselves christians it means we reject all the other ideas in the world about How we might be saved or gain everlasting life. It means that we don't cling to any kind of sinfulness, but instead we seek God's will and God's ways for our lives by studying the Bible, by listening when it's taught. It means we reject the idea that people are basically good. Unless you're some kind of axe murderer, you'll probably go to heaven when you die. The way of the cross means we have to accept that we are not good. We need Christ as our saviour to die in our place. It means having our full identity in Jesus and standing upon his word. Even if and even when it means that we will be ridiculed for our views. Ridiculed for being out of date. Ridiculed for being dinosaurs. It means that anything other that we might find our identity in is not wrong it's not bad but they all have to take a back seat to jesus so i'm a father and that means a, an incredible amount to me but first and foremost i am a christian father and so passing on the faith to my children is central to how i act as a father The way of the cross might mean difficult decisions for us. It means for young people that the main thing you should look for in a potential husband or wife is someone who will partner with you in your passion for Jesus. It means that those who operate in business might have to be willing to make less money for the sake of integrity and honesty. It means that parents are going to have to have difficult conversations with our children about why we believe things that are seen as oppressive in this world. It means that when the sun is shining and the weather is fine on a Sunday morning, we make the decision to be in worship with God's people, rather than heading to the beach. The Christian life is not a life of ease and comfort Choosing ease and comfort in the short term is what Jesus teaches against in verse 36. A short and temporary time of ease followed by eternal torment. What benefit is that? God's kingdom the way of the cross is the way to glory. We follow Christ first to the cross then to glory. Friends, that's the joy of God's upside down kingdom. Or, as I've said before, we're the ones who've got things upside down. God's kingdom is the right way up. Think about squeezing a piece of fruit to get the juice. But imagine it's a really, really hard piece of fruit. And yet, it's the most delicious juice in the world. Doesn't the glory of the juice make the difficulty of the squeeze worthwhile? The juice is worth the squeeze. Friends, when it comes to the kingdom of God, the juice is always worth the squeeze. The cross means suffering, means pain, means being rejected. But if you want to come after Christ, that's what you take on. You must deny yourself. Don't take the easy way out. In the short term, it might be good, but it leads to everlasting rejection by the Son of Man when he comes in judgment. Instead, take up your cross and follow him. Follow him to the cross, knowing that on the other side of the cross is everlasting and unimaginable glory. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. From the start of this book of Mark, we've seen the evidence stack up and up and up that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, as we finish for this term, we close by saying that Jesus is the King, but He's the King who must die. And that in His kingdom, the way to glory is the way of the cross. Will you take up your cross? Will you deny yourself, follow him, knowing that it might lead you through suffering and rejection? It will lead you through suffering and rejection in this world, but at least to glory in the world to come. Let me pray for us.